Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. It's great to see you this morning. We are in Heart, Heart last Sunday of Heart for the House Sunday, and uh, it's exciting. I was just kind of thinking back to the last, we just had celebrated back in September, was our 31th, 31th, <laughs> 31st, 31th anniversary and uh, as a church. And I was just, just thinking back, you know, when we started, we, you know, we had nothing. Literally nothing. We were sent out to plant the church with an offering of like $862. And yeah, ignorance, which helped. <clears throat> ignorance of how hard the journey ahead would be. But we started, uh, we started at the Kinsman Center. Do we, how many people do we have in here that were actually at church in the Kinsman Center? Bev, Yes. I mean, put your hands high and proud, guys. You have earned. Yep, yep. Got Matt back there, Chris and Paula. Who else do we got? Richard? Of course, Richard. Who else do we have? I was thinking there was somebody else here. Oh, Dennis. Dennis was at the, and he's in the foyer. Thank you, guys. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> And that was about as big as the attendance ever got there. So that was, <laughs> you could only fit about 25 people in that building and, and it got really noisy. And then we, had, when we moved over to Christ the King School. How many do we have that were at Christ the King School? How many hands? People at Christ the King School. Okay, that's a few more. Yeah, it's funny how much that has changed. And then... The upstairs, formerly known as Macaws Billiards. How many, how many joined us at Macaws Billiards? We had neon lights in there, guys. It was fancy. <laughs> it was fancy. And then, of course, this location here. You don't have to, I, I mean, you can all put your hands up if you want. But I just think, you know, this, that came, we went from meeting in a Kinsman Center to what we were living in today because people had a heart to build God's house. And it's amazing over time what you can do when you have a heart to build. And later this morning, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be receiving your giving, also uh, regular giving, but also, also a pledge or a one-time gift or whatever you, whatever you feel like you might want to contribute. Um, towards the house, and it's it, and we it, we do this once a year. And if you're here for this Sunday, then then you just you can just understand this is something we do for the physical building once a year. And you say, well, is the church a physical building? Well, no, but the church needs a physical building. And so it's like, is your home your family? Like, is your house your family? Or is it, that's even a better. Is your house your home? No, your home is where your family is, but family needs a home. And so what the heart for the house is to make sure that, that our family has a home. The building's not our home, but it does provide for us to have a home. It, 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 it 
creates that place where we can have a home. And so I want to talk today, I don't know, I had, I just kind of threw some thoughts down and hopefully it comes out okay for you. It'll be fine for me, but I just don't know if you guys will like it or not. And uh, I've found, and you guys have heard me say this, I've found the last couple of years really challenging personally. Um, I've found leading people a challenge because none of us want to be led anymore. And we're all a little distrustful of people telling us what to do. Because we don't know if you have our best interest in mind or not anymore. And so it, it has been a challenging season. And I, I've thought, you know, there was a, there was a leader in the Bible who, who had to face a season that was very similar to that. And it was Joshua. And Joshua, it, I mean, Joshua was one, it was commissioned with leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. And he was, uh, Joshua was, was basically put in charge of the whole nation. And as, as they're getting ready, as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, you have to think back. Now, for us, this is just a story of something that happened a long time ago. Great, let's tell the story and we can talk about Joshua and his courage. But Joshua was terrified. And Joshua was terrified with cause. Because the last time the nation of Israel got to this point, they failed miserably. The people murmured, and they grumbled, and they complained, and they questioned leadership, and they questioned God, and they questioned each other. And here they are, they're, they've been set free, and they're sitting here murmuring and grumbling, saying, we'd be better off being slaves back in Egypt. Well, no, you wouldn't. But that's where they, it's amazing what a, where a bad attitude can take your reasoning. It's amazing where doubt, unbelief, and fear can take your reasoning. It takes it to dark, stupid places. And so here they are on this edge, and Joshua had been here before. And the whole nation failed to go forward. And Joshua is at this, at this precipice of he's looking over the promised land, and then it says God comes to him, and this is what he says. Moses is dead. Moses had held this country together for the last 40 years. And this is, this is Joshua's inauguration to leadership. Yeah, you know the guy who's kind of kept everybody running? He's gone. You're in charge now. And there's this interesting, this interesting command that comes here. It says, you, therefore, be strong and of good courage. It's in Joshua 1, chapter, verse 9. And it's, it's really interesting because over and over, there is this, there's this command, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. And I, I think in the, last, in the last couple of years, it's the first, it's not the first time, but it's, it's a time where I've really resonated with you know what, to be courageous is actually a very intentional decision going forward. And the, and the, the command to, to not be afraid or to not be dismayed, which maybe is a, you know, a better word. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. It was to lead the people forward, but it wasn't just to, 
to drag them forward. It was to take, it was to take this nation forward in faith. To take this nation forward into the promise of God with expectation. Now that takes courage. It takes courage to go forward expecting the best, doesn't it? Like some of us, you know, some of us go forward and, and you say, I wouldn't say I'm a pessimist, I'd say I'm a realist. You know, some of you guys are just optimistic all the time. You make me vomit. It's all going to be good, but there is a certain amount of faith that just says, you know what? It is going to be good. It might not be easy, but it will be good. God will take us through. And this, this command, some scholars believe that the command to not be afraid is actually the most common command in Scripture. The command not to fear the future, not to fear the unknown, not to fear is the most common command in all of Scripture. And, you know, some have said that hate is the opposite of love, but I don't actually think it is. I think fear is the opposite of love. I think fear is the opposite of love because fear drives us into isolation. Fear drives us to separate from those around us. Fear drives us to separate ourselves from situations that might hurt us. Fear causes us to isolate and protect ourselves. Fear leads to isolation, and isolation leads us to not be able to give or receive love. I think the degree that we live by fear, we block love in our lives. This is where Timothy says, perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out, or maybe it was First John that said that. It's somewhere in the New Testament, you find it. And you know, fear can take many forms, but I think the, the most dangerous form that fear takes is, is isolation. See, if, if, if we have fear of commitment, we end up isolated from relationship. We end up isolated from groups. If we have fear of betrayal, we, we isolate ourselves from deep friendships. We isolate ourselves from close community. If we fear disappointment, we will isolate ourselves from depending upon others. We will isolate ourselves from situations where we, where, we, where we have to trust or rely on others. If we fear failure, we isolate ourselves from new experiences. We isolate ourselves from risk. So fear actually isolates us from life. When we live in fear, we don't experience life the way that God's intended for us to experience life. And fear stops us from experiencing church the way God designed church. Because you can't be part of the church if fear is driving your life. So what is the church? Where do we even find church? Like when Jesus, when Jesus, there's actually the first, I'm going to go to the first place here where Jesus mentioned the word church. And it's Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they're, they're hedging their answers. 
It's a little bit of fear in action. Well, we're going to say what other people say, you know. But he said, but you, but you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is, this is, some, this is quite a profound... Jesus, Peter just went from... Peter went from just saying... I believe you were sent by God to save the world to Jesus saying, upon that confession and revelation, hell won't prevail against you. It's like, well, that escalated quickly. (laughs) A simple answer. But Peter made a confession that no one had ever made. He realized Jesus was the Messiah sent from God. And Jesus told the disciples, he told his followers at that time, it was that revelation and confession that would be the basis for the formation of this thing called the church. So we see, right away we see here, the church is based on a confession. This confession that Jesus is sent from God. He's the son of the living God. And this confession would be the threshold for a whole new community and a whole new way to live. And the church ever since, has, it has been this combination of confession and community. And the confession is important. What we confess is important. The confession and the community are inseparable. It, it's what has caused divisions in the church for 2,000 years, is the confession and the community. But our confession is the foundation to the commitments that change the way we live. Confession precedes commitment. And if you're going to do if you're going to embrace something new in your life, there comes a place where you know you have to confess it. You know, if you're wanting to get in shape, I brought it up. You guys can ch- check it out. Our, our staff has a thing. Every time he mentions exercise or working out, just make a check mark. So, <laughs> You know, if you want to get in shape, there you realize there's a point where you must confess it. Where you have to say, I am going to get into an exercise program. Or if you're going, whatever change, you fill in the blank. There comes a point where you realize, if I don't say this out loud, this will not happen in my life. And some of you, you avoid saying things out loud because you know, as soon as I say this out loud, I am accountable. I'm responsible. Jesus was just saying here that our confession and our belief about him will shape the reality of our life. What I believe, I will confess, and what I confess, I will live into. 
And we've seen this. A poor confession is also dangerous. A poor confession leads us to dark places. If you confess that people can, if you confess that people will hurt or betray you, you will begin to live into the reality of that confession. And you'll begin to distance people in such a way or you'll begin to treat people in such a way that they begin to distance and betray you. If your confession is the church doesn't really matter, then you will live into the reality of that confession and the church won't really matter. We live, into the, we live in the reality of the confession we speak. But it's not just, this isn't just mind over matter. This is, we have to understand the power of the confessions that we speak. Because if we speak confessions that are lies or, dark, or, or inspired by darkness, we'll, we'll live in the reality, but we're not living in truth. We're living in darkness. So Peter's almost simple confession at this time, but it, it was almost a simple confession, but it was a confession that was, that was powered by the truth of heaven. And, it was, and because of that, it puts something into motion that we are living in the reality of today. It's called the church. It was that confession where the church started. He said, upon, upon this rock, what is the rock? The rock is the revelation and the confession of who Christ is. And that confession was the precursor of all who would one day join the family of God. And a healthy confession, it won't just lead you into a, a, a good individual spiritual life. A healthy confession leads us into a healthy community life. Leads us into a healthy group together. And our confession, where does it come from? Well, our confession is, it comes from our vision. What's your vision of the church? A nice little social club? Maybe, maybe church is just a place to get a good positive message for the week. Hopefully. Depends who's preaching that Sunday. Or maybe church is a place we show up to once in a while when our guilt's getting a little bigger than our ability to carry. Whoops, a little too close to home, Mike. Just leave that, leave that one alone. But the church, the real question is, what did God design the church for? What was Jesus' vision of the church? See, the church can be all those things. But the question is, is what did, what did God design the church to be. Many of us come to church with our own preferences and desires. You know, and, and if we were to, you know, you notice there's not a suggestion box. <laughs> you know why? Because there's, like, you've got 500 people, there's 500 suggestions. You can't do them all. And, and to be honest, that's not, you know, well, you know, the lights are too bright, the drums are too loud. It's, it's like you could, and, and then in the next suggestion, turn up the lights and the drums need to be louder. Like you just, that's the reality in which we live. When if, if all church is, is us trying to put together an entertainment program for our Sunday mornings, 
we're going to fall wildly short of the vision of what church is supposed to be. Jesus' vision for the church was not just a positive-thinking social club. It was an alternative society to the cultural norms of its day. And if I want church to fit my vision, it's only a matter of time until what we do doesn't fit what I want to do. People, say, people will say, you know, well, Mike, it's your church. It's the way you want it. Trust me, it's not the way I want it. There are lots of things where my own personal preference is, I don't like that. But it's not about what I like. It's about what builds community. It's about what reflects the heart of Christ to our community. There's three key metaphors for the church. Wow, I got seven minutes and 27 seconds left. Better move. There's three key metaphors. These are worth writing down or jotting notes on your phone or whatever. The first metaphor, or the three metaphors for the church are this, the the body, the bride, and a family. A body, a bride, and a family. In the body, 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, just as a body, though one, has many parts. You know, you just look at your body, many parts. They're different. But all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. And so we aren't all supposed to be the same. We aren't, you you can look at, you can look at another part, another member of the church and, and think, well, I'm nothing like them, so I must not have a role in the church. But you would be like, what would we be like if if our whole body was like 50 hands? You know what? Somewhere we need a mouth. And a nose is helpful. And a sphincter. (laughs) Nobody's thankful for their sphincter until they don't have one. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. This is what you get. This is how Jesus made me. I'm sorry. Part of me that is 12 years old forever. But this is meant to, re- the, 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 the church being a body is meant to reveal to us that we are not separate entities, just cooperating. We are one. We are one. We've been made unique, and that uniqueness is special. We need your uniqueness. The uniqueness is what makes a body a body. And without that uniqueness, we're not a body. We're individuals that can only be complete in the context of community. And we do more together than we can do alone. And there's a beauty in our uniqueness that adds to the value of everyone. You are unique, and you're supposed to be unique, but you're not supposed to be isolated in your uniqueness. Your uniqueness is a gift to everyone. The body, the second metaphor, is a bride. And guys, we have a hard time with this because we don't relate to what it means to be a bride. But there's, there's a part we, as the church, we're called to be his bride. And it's, it, this is meant to draw us back 
to the original Genesis story of what husband and wife were originally intended to be. It's meant to borne our attention to the fruit that comes out of this type of relationship. That the, the fruit that comes from the relationship that when we're part of this relationship, the husband and wife relationship, it is a, it's a relationship. It's not just for sex or companionship. It's meant to bring new life to the world. And this is the relationship that we are to have with God as the church. It's, it's not just for us or our satisfaction or warm, fuzzy feelings during worship. It's to bring new life into the world around us. It's to be a source of life to the world around us. When you're a bride, you are desired. And you're part of something that generates new life. And being a bride dignifies you with the value of the one who desires you. When you're a bride, your value is a reflection of the one who loves you. A bride knows the love of her groom, and it's from that love a home and a family is built. And every sociologist in history knows that the family is the foundation of society. When we lose the family, we lose society, which is our third which is our third metaphor, is the church is a family. And with family comes lots of stuff. <laughs> Isn't it true? With family, family is difficult. Family is wonderful. Family is desired. And family is sometimes, I could use a little less family right now. <laughs> Sometimes family's crazy. And the relationships in family are far from simple. They're far from simple. You can't control the family you were born into. And you also can't separate yourself from it. You can, you hear, you know, the, this, this thing of kids, like, I don't know what the word for it is, but basically divorcing their parents. It's like, guess what? You can't. I don't, I don't care what any court of law in the world says. Those are your parents. Like it or not. Good ones, bad ones, funny ones, crazy ones. Family is one of the best things on earth, but it can also be one of the hardest. And in using this comparison, Jesus is revealing what the nature of church and our role in it will be like. It can be one of the most beautiful experiences. It can also be one of the most frustrating experiences you will ever have on this planet. Because God sets us. It says he sets us into families. It doesn't say he asks for us to vote on which family we want to be a part of. It just says he sets us into families. What are the components of family. Well, heard one, one speaker put it like this, people, time, and pain. <laughs> the key components of family. It's people. It's a, and the people, the people that are around us change the way we show up to the world. 
People are complex. People are never what you want them to be. And this is what makes up family. And there's, there's a certain health to being in a group of people that you, it's like, you're not perfect. It's like, I might not even, like, if this was just a social club, I might not even pick you. Don't act like it's not true. <laughs> but God sets us together anyways. And he says, out of this relationship, it's going to be out of this, the working of this out, that new life will be born into the world. Family is the way the human race goes forward. So what we do with this relationship, it's actually really, really important. When family is done right, it transforms and develops us to our fullest. But when family is done wrong, it blocks us and sometimes even damages and hinders us from going forward. The, complex, the complexity of family and people. Family is a great ideal. Makes a wonderful postcard. But the reality is family is difficult. Family is complicated. And I like the illustration of family because you, you don't get to pick your family. Your family just is your family. And you have to figure out how to make it work. And there's a health to that. When you have to figure out this is what I get. So I better figure out how to make this work. Time. What makes a family is time. Families mature with time. We love each other. We spend time with each other. We get sick of each other. But that's family, isn't it? And sometimes we're together. We don't want to be together, but we're together anyways. And other times, it's being together is beautiful. It's very interesting that the, one of the greatest influences, one of the greatest predictors of success in children, not, not fiscal success, but just like being a person success, one of the greatest predictors of success in children is whether or not they had family meals together. What's magic about a family meal? Nothing. Yet it's, it, it's miraculous the, what it does in your heart, what it does in your life, how it, how it forms you, how it shapes you, how it forms your children, how it shapes your children. Don't underestimate the power of time together. Spend time together. Some of you, if you heard anything today in today's message, that might be one that will just rescue your whole family. Is like, just, just say, we're going to eat together. And that's what we're going to do. And watch the power of time begin to work. And then, of course, you know, with, with family comes pain. You can't have family without pain. We can run from it or we can grow in it. Sometimes we share in it together. And sometimes we inflict it upon one another. Because that's what family does. Brothers and sisters, those are just affliction relationships, aren't they? But it does something. 
But here's the thing. It's not just enough to believe in family. You actually have to show up for family. And the ideals of family can actually be dangerous to the reality of family because ideals make us look for something that can never be found. And I, and I would argue that the church is no different. When we have an ideal of what church should be, that's actually dangerous to the experience of what church will be because church isn't perfect. Relationships won't be perfect. I'll say stupid things like sphincter. But we're not perfect. But it's, it's, it's as we learn to work together. It's as we learn to come together that the church grows. And how do we experience this? Well, there's choice and there's faith. We make the choice. And it just, you know, coming out of, coming out of the, I, I made mention of it, I made mention of it a lot, but the last, the last three years, like, we've all changed. Society changed. People changed. Relationships changed. And you come to church and you think, well, church just doesn't feel the same anymore. People are gone. We're hurting. And you know, there is a word for this. It's called trauma. And it changes the way you see everything. And with the, there's when you experience trauma in a family, there's no miracle cure to get through it. There's just time and choice and faith. And you have to go through it. And I think, like, even speaking societally, I don't even think we've started the healing process yet. Like as a culture, I think there's a lot, a lot of vitriol. There's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of hurtness. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be super heavy today, but, but the church is actually supposed to play a role in that healing. And I wrestle like you wrestle. It's like, I don't even know if I want to be part of the healing. I don't know if I like anybody anymore. Sometimes I stand up here and think I'm the least qualified to talk because I'm, I might be the most unspiritual of you all and when, when it comes to what's going on in my heart at times. Yet we're still called. Whether we want to be called to the church or not, God calls us and he places us in his family and says, will you build my church? Will you We can opt out at any time. But opting out means we miss out. And church doesn't work on high hopes and optimistic ideals. It works on faith and showing up. Okay, bring it home, Mike. I heard a quote in a message last week that deeply resonated with me. You might want to write this down. It's a bit long church is hard. <laughs> and it's in the hardness we need to remind ourselves church is also a gift. It's a gift that's been given to us from God for our formation and our benefit and to bring new life. 
And if you haven't gone through a time where you thought church was hard, I would venture to say then you're probably not experiencing it right. You're probably not involved enough because it should be hard at times. That's what family is. It's hard at times. Church is hard, but it's good. Church is hard, but it's also good. Jesus invites us to embrace this journey with courage. Right back to that first point. After I say all that, it's like, I don't, why would I want to be a part of this? You know what? It takes courage to be a part of this. And we understand why there's commands like, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Why? The only reason you would have to be commanded not to be afraid and dismayed is because your natural inclination is to be afraid and dismayed. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. God's with us. He's with his church. His blessing is on his church. He said the very power of hell will not prevail against his church. That confession, Jesus sent from God to save the world. That confession will change the course of your life. Let's stand up. You know, oftentimes we pray a prayer and it's really an individualistic prayer because there is an individual decision that we all make to say yes to follow Christ. But the invitation to follow Christ is never an invitation to follow alone. It's an invitation to be part of his church, his body, his bride, his family. It's an invitation to the whole package and parcel, crazy uncle and all. And I want to just, I want to just lead us in a prayer. And for some of us, that prayer will be a very, the very first time we pray, prayed. It's a prayer saying yes to following Christ. Yes to being part of his plan. But for some of us, it's like, I need to pray this prayer again. I need to say yes again because I've noticed fear has caused me to isolate. Fear has caused me to withdraw. I have become dismayed. And it's that faith and trust that what God has planned is better than what I can come up with on my own. So if you want to join me together, just pray together, Jesus. I say yes to you. I want to follow you. And I want to follow your plan for my life and for your church to follow together with those you've called me to do life together with. Help me to understand my place in your church and to be a, to experience your life and to help bring that life to others. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.